Christ is risen. Good job, Tobe. All right. Oh, thank you guys for giving me a, a moment to speak. I'll tell you um, what has said. Hold on. I'm going to bring this up a minute. It's very tight. Um, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. There will be much of God's strength, y'all. <laughs> oh, I just come to you broken today. Like this is just a, a vulnerable space for me. And I'm, but I'm thankful that this house has honored the many voices, and I'm I'm grateful for this space um, to be able to speak to you guys today. Uh, I, would it would it be too last minute for me to highlight you guys, or do you want to wait till next week for your businesses? Next week. Okay. I figured. I should have caught you before. Um, we are lifting up businesses in prayer, so we're going to highlight this amazing couple that uh, I'm just so I'm just so blown away by couples that, that do business, and it is something that we have been able to do in our house that I never thought would be our household income, and it's something I have a heart for to just lift up in prayer in this house, so we will, we will do that next week. Um, so I'll be straight with you guys. When Jordan, Pastor Jordan came to me and said, you're week two of talking about the fullness of the resurrection. I was like, what? <laughs> I come to Jordan with things that God's put in my heart. And then he's like, you want to speak on that? And I'm like, yeah. So this one was a curveball for me where I was like, this is so loaded. Like if somebody walked up to you and said, Zane, what is the fullness of the resurrection? Would you have an answer right off the top? <laughs> I'm going to introduce your speaker this morning as Zane Ziza. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, guys, for some reason, like, I tend to be all or nothing, and I think that's part of why this, this challenge just, man, I just want to be like the fullness, like even just hearing the words that um, were just shared about fullness is just like, there's just so much that could be shared on the fullness. So obviously I cannot give you the fullness of fullness, but I will give you what God has laid on my heart and, and hope that it blesses you. So when I first just really got before God, I was like, Lord, what? Like, where do I even start in talking on this subject? I really felt like the Lord just said, well, go to the verses and look at the conversations that Jesus had after he was resurrected. And so I began to do that, and that's, we're predominantly going to look at um, Luke 24 today, but we will start in Mark 16. And how did I manage to get up here without my Bible? <laughs> Sorry. I have a lot of it written out, but not all of it. Thank you. Y'all, this is my Bible my mama gave me when I graduated high school. I hope it lasts. It's the one that I know where everything is and it falls to the right places. Those are the good ones. It's got my mama's handwriting. She's in heaven, so it's a treasure. So Mark 16. So there's so many different versions. Obviously, we have different eyewitnesses, right? And I know in our home group, we've been looking at some of the different um, encounters that people had with Jesus from the different versions. And that was one of the subjects that we had was you know, why does this person say that they saw this and this person say that they saw that? And it's because they each had a different perspective, as we all do, right? We all get to see different parts of God. And so in Mark 16, 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And this just began kind of the subject of what I want to talk about today, and that is, what is the stone that's between you and Jesus? What is the thing, like you, you've got your worship, right? You've got your thing and you want to come to the Lord and you're like, how am I going to move this stone? Because we've all got stuff, right? We either got past, we've got worries in the present, we've got, I don't know, I feel like I've got more worries than I've got past. I think I worry over the decisions I made in the past. Like, shoot, we just ball it all up, right? And it gets really big and heavy and we're like, 
how are we going to move this thing so that we can bring our worship to the Lord? And I felt like that was where the Lord just started with me, was that it is the resurrection power that rolls away these heavy things, because guess what happens? Verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. I'm like, okay. So we know that resurrection power rolls away the very heavy stones that stand between us and Jesus, us and our worship of him. So that's just like the beginning of where I felt like the Lord just began to highlight um, of what, we, what we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at some of the different encounter conversations that were had, and predominantly where the Lord first started with me was the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This is what he commissions his disciples. This is one of the main things he says to them after he has been risen from the dead. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The verses we're going to look at today, I feel like the phrase about belief, the word belief, they did believe, they didn't believe, is all throughout almost every encounter that Jesus has with anyone after the resurrection. And so I'm like, God, why do we struggle with belief? You even say in some of these verses, why? How are you so slow of heart to believe? And so when I looked at this initially, I was like, okay, go into all the world, preach the good news. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So if you guys want to go ahead, they're going to start queuing up a simple video for me. If any of you are like me and you've grown up in the church, I don't know about y'all, but I get Charlie Brown teacherish, and everything just starts getting real wah, 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 right? Like it just starts sounding the same. And I've been in a season where, I don't know, like things have almost just gotten numb. If you've ever been there where you just, you've tried, you do all the right things, but it, you just don't feel it and you feel numb and you just go through the motions. And so I just wanted to pull up a small video that basically is just going to give us a basic breakdown of the good news in, in words maybe you haven't heard before, maybe you have, but just to where we're all on the same page of what the good news is, I want y'all to watch this with me right now.
Amen. So now we know for sure this is the good news. And this is what Jesus called his disciples to go and share. And so he literally says, if you go share this good news to the nations, to all creations, these are the signs that will accompany you. Now, I don't know, we have some musicians in the room, and you know what an accompaniment is, someone, someone that plays along with you. So I'm kind of a definition. My English teacher's voice is always in my head. Always have a dictionary next to you when you're reading. And so a company says, go somewhere with someone as a companion or an escort or to be present or occur at the same time as something else. So in other words, at the same time, that the gospel is being shared, these signs should also accompany. Or as you are going out to share and preach this good news, the escort or the, the person, the companion going before you should be these signs. And what are these signs? There are five. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not harm them at all. And they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. I'll know about y'all, but I need some accompaniment. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm just going to talk real straight with y'all. My mom was a first grade teacher. She was always like, I want you to be a teacher when you grow up. And I pulled enough staples out of walls and straightened enough desks and cleaned enough chalkboards to be like, I do not want to be in the classroom. So I'm going to just teach you from my heart. I do feel like God is, has given me the heart to teach, and it's going to be real simple. It's going to be real practical illustrations from the way that God talks to me. I hope I have a childlike heart. So if it's too simple and not Greek enough, profound for you, I apologize. This is just the way I talk. So I was left asking the Lord, do I believe? Do I believe and am I preaching the good news if I don't have these five things? Now, obviously, I know this is where churches can get off into weird stuff and they do some snake handling just to prove that they believe and we're not going to do that today. But when I think about people doing, when I think about the snakes, I, I, some of the reading I said like this was kind of, obviously, they were going out into villages. So this was like a common issue. You know, they're out and about and these snakes would come up. So they would just know like they could deal with it and it wouldn't be a problem. It's not that we actually have those issues as much. Maybe we are, if we were in a cowboy church or something, we might, but we won't. We probably won't see snakes, right? But what I thought was, like, they did not walk in fear of harm. You know, these are some of the most major fears we have is of death or of sickness. And so, like, when I think of these snakes or these deadly poisons, like, that's kind of confronting that. Like, they did not walk in fear of, of bad things happening to them. And so, I just really began to say, God, I want you to show me what is it that you, that you want to reveal to us in, in what it looks like to, to literally walk out the Great Commission. So we're going to visit some of the other encounters that, that Jesus had as he, after he resurrected. So there's some pretty cool charts out there. The teacher and me almost wanted to print them out and have one in everybody's lap, but I didn't do it. So there is believed to be I think it's like 10 encounters over the 40-day period. So I love how Jordan has led us back to um, just some of the timelines of the church. And even having done the Abiding Life Journal, like I've never really looked into like this season of Easter Tide. Like all those things were kind of new to me and really even just following in that. Um, and and it, I know even right now, like Lou Engel is is doing a fast, like a Yeshua fast right now for calling the heart of Israel back to Jesus. And just some really cool like 40-day markers that I'm seeing really are just part of what God's doing in the kingdom right now. And so how, how Jesus had these 40 days after he was resurrected. And so there's about five, 10 um, mentions that we know of, and some of them are just alluded to, and some of them are are pretty clear. So we're going to jump around uh, the Gospels, and we're going to look at some of those. So we've looked at Mary Magdalene and how, you know, she basically, no, we have not, not just yet, John 20. If y'all have your Bibles, I did not, I told the guys in the sound booth who were amazing, thank you for doing that video for me. I said, I'm going to be all over the place, so I, I won't even give you all the different verses to have to pull up. So if you have your Bibles, go to John 20, verse 11. 
All right, it says, But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? I don't know about y'all, but I'm a crier, so this has really hit me. <laughs> why are you crying? Um, who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will go get him, Jesus said to her. Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my father. And Mary basically goes from here, and she tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. So this is one of the first encounters. And I think, okay, so what we see there is Jesus was right there. And she didn't even know it was him. So I want you to remember that. Sometimes we see Jesus and we don't even know it's him. So that's what we learned from the first encounter. And the second encounter is the other Mary and the Salome and Joanna. And they say probably one other woman. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of creative liberty here. So Luke 24.10 talks about this one. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Luke 8.3 is where my mom and dad got my name. And it says basically these same women, Joanna, Susanna, they followed Jesus and they took care of him out of their means. So I would like to believe that my namesake was there at the second encounter of Jesus after the resurrection. I would like to believe that. So John 20, I'm sorry, Luke 24. I should have marked these. I'm going to be back and forth, guys. So Luke 24 is going to be one of the main, main ones that I use. And verse 10 says, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So again, we've had women who've had an encounter, and they are, they're saying, it, we have seen the Lord. And there's those that are like, I don't know. I'm not sure. There's a reference in Luke 24, 34 that references that Simon Peter, they say, Simon Peter has seen him. And then again, now we have the road to Emmaus with Cloopus and his companion. So Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now, at the same time, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they kept... They were kept from recognizing him. So here we are on the third encounter, fourth maybe, the fourth encounter, and just like with Mary, they were kept from recognizing him. But he was right there. And this is the resurrected Jesus, walking in the fullness, right? So he just starts talking to him, right? What's, what are you guys talking about today, guys, you know? Verse 19, well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since this all took place. And they knew the prophecies, right? In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are 
and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he begins to explain to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And so this is the first time that Jesus begins to reference like the themes that I see throughout these encounters are is that he references the Christ had to suffer. Their perception of, of this, the Messiah coming was like what we do in America, right? We want the fast-tracked, easy path. Like I'm like, they are no different than us. We are no different than them, right? We just want things to be simple, and we want the it's like the speed pass at Six Flags, right? Like we just want, don't want to get in the line. We want it to go to the front. We want to be fast. We want blessing. We want favor. And Christ is saying, guys, don't you remember? What, I have to suffer these things. The Christ had to suffer these things in order to enter into his glory. Why are you so slow of heart to believe? So this was the fourth encounter. Again, in John 20, verse 19 through 25, I'm going to try to mark this with my tissue. Sorry, guys. Doing it old school with the Bible. <laughs> John 2019. All right. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with their doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and what did he say? Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So he's had, you know, different, there's different versions of that story, but we see that he encountered them, they saw him, they were filled with joy, and he begins to breathe on them to receive the Holy Spirit. So now, several days later, has passed. All of those first five encounters happened in the first day, and then in the eight days later, the 11, including Thomas, in John 20, verse 26 through 29, again, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my, my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I don't think Jesus, I know he's surprised by the unbelief, but it's like he is catering a heart's desire to accommodate his disciples' belief. This is resonating in these scriptures. So there is another reference uh, in John 21 where the seven disciples are at the Sea of Tib Tiberias. This is when they're kind of like, man, we've been waiting on God. They decide to go fishing and, and you see Jesus come yet again and talk about making them fishers of men. Um, the disciples, uh, again, in a large gathering at the mountain of Galilee, this is, I think, over the next few weeks, we see in Matthew 28, 16, and 17. So I'm going to reference this one from a different spot. So in regards to the seven disciples, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors... Oh, sorry, wrong one. My bad. I'm jumping. Okay, so in Galilee, he appears. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee into the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But guess what? Some doubted. (laughs) Again, it's every single reference, just about every single reference we see. Some doubted. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So we don't really get the fullness of that story, only that there's a reference that there was some large group encounters where we saw Jesus coming and revealing himself. And then again in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, the last appearance that is referenced before the ascension is, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And it's believed that that encounter, because we know that James was basically a skeptic. John 7, 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him. And so we see this cycle of belief, right? (laughs) Why, Why are your hearts so slow to believe? So the very last thing, Luke 24, 49 through 53, is the last encounter that we that we know of. Luke 24, that doesn't even make sense. Hold on. Oh, because I'm in John. I'll tell you. All right. So he tells them. You are witnesses of these things. Let me back up to 45. I'm going to go back even further. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And that's the second reference that we see of Christ wanting to give them the Holy Spirit. So, this is the bulk of the encounters that we see Jesus having and the conversations that we see him having is crying out for the Great Commission. We see him saying, whoever believes will be saved. He is calling them out. Don't be slow of heart to believe. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, as I'm going through all this and it's stirring inside of me, I'm like, God, what do we have to do to get the Holy Spirit accompanying these signs in us? What do we have to do to have the the Holy Spirit's resurrection power operating in us in such a way that the stones that are in between us roll away and that we not only encounter Jesus face to face for ourselves, but that we are walking in the constant power of God to give that revelation to others. So I'm going to propose a theory. <laughs> this is something. This is how God talks to me. Has anybody seen The Chosen? Does anybody see Jesus in The Chosen? He's my favorite. I, I like the different ways that people have taken on the challenge of depicting Jesus. Uh, God bless these actors who, uh, I, that would just be a humbling role. And so, obviously, in life, we all, we, we give our lives to Jesus, we believe, we say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and that you have desire relationship with me, and we, we choose to be a follower of Christ, and what becomes our desire, right? Holy Spirit, make me look like Jesus. <laughs> this is what we want, right? We want so bad <laughs> for when people to look at us, they see Jesus. Man, if I could just be Jesus, that would be it, Right? And so something that the Lord began to show me was um, there have been times where I have looked to people in my life, right, to be Jesus to me. And I have walked, I have put stones of offense or stones of, of disappointment 
that God wasn't who he said he was going to be. And, and God called me on the floor, y'all. I didn't even put mascara on. I can't believe I haven't cried yet because it's coming, I'll tell you. He said, that was not me. Just called me out straight up. You're mad, but that was not me. And so I, I just begun to repent and say, God, wherever I have allowed who you are and the representation of your spirit between me and humanity to be skewed, I ask that you would set it straight. And so we, we know, I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard the analogy that how can a perfect God accept us sinful believers? Like how, how could he let us into his perfect heaven? We have sin. We do not have perfection. And so there's been the analogy, well, when we ask Christ to become our savior, now he stands in front of us, right? And so when God looks at us, he sees his son and he says, come, come to me. And that that's how we can then come to the father is because Jesus stands as the perfect sacrifice between us and the Father, and now we can enter into his rest. And so I really just felt like the Lord began to challenge my thinking, and that the work of the Spirit, that the resurrection fullness that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us is to begin, I, don't, I didn't know how to depict this. If I could make Jesus sunglasses, I would have done that, but I'm not that good. But just begin to let Jesus be the filter for which we see humanity, and not always expecting someone to be Jesus to us, because we can't be, right? We can't even walk around with our own Jesus mask. We are not that good. We struggle to believe, just like the disciples who had just seen with their own eyes they touched the, whole, the holes in Jesus' hands. They put their fingers in his side. And even they doubted. Even they struggled to believe. They were slow of heart to believe. And so I began to just have this deep stirring. Y'all, <laughs> I will not teach on Acts. But we're going to touch into it for just a minute. In Acts 3, Peter is facilitating the, the a healing at the temple um, of the beggar, right? That's been there forever. Everyone knows him. Oh, that's the temple beggar. And here, all of a sudden, we have the story where Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. I've been so challenged. I love you guys. I love this body of believers. You guys sharpen me like iron like so much. I'm so thankful for the different teachings and the way that Brittany did the homeless bags for the young people. That has been in our car and that's been such a tangible expression of God's love and yet it challenges me, right? There's this uh, veteran that stands at the edge of Walmart and we've helped him a couple times and just yesterday we gave him our last bag and he was, he has the most brilliant blue eyes and he was like, yes, thank you so much. This helps. Anything helps. And I just left just being like, God, I just want to be Peter. <laughs> you know, like I just want the accompanying signs that silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give thee. And just to see the wholeness and the fullness of, of those encounters walking in people's lives. And by faith in the name of Jesus is how Peter did it. So we're going to jump to Acts for just a hot minute before we wrap this up. I won't be long. So he says to them, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you've seen and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he has foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 
oh, I believe this was in our abide journal this morning and I couldn't help but add that because I was like, that is so powerful. He desires that times of refreshing would come from the Lord. But when we have the things that are between us and Jesus, we are struggling to walk in that fullness. We are struggling to get it's like we're just carrying that burden, right? And, and the spirit of the resurrection, the fullness of the resurrection is the spirit of God wanting to just say, hey, let me roll that out of the way. Let, come on and bring your worship to the Lord. Acts 4, 8 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And it goes on in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Do we have any of those in the house? Come on. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the men who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. What are they going to say? They start scrambling. The next verses are like, what are we going to do? We got this guy. You know, He's jumping up and down. He's praising the Lord. Everybody knows him. Like, We can't deny the evidence. So, this is my challenge. This is my heart. I believe that if Jesus had just risen from the dead and he were to come into this house today, he would say the same. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. And they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. So I honestly, I do not have anything profound. I just know that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells in us. When we take Jesus into us and say, I need you. I need you to be my forgiveness of sins. I need you to be my Savior. That resurrection power moves in, and thus comes the accompaniment. I don't know if you guys, I, I will be honest, I've started a couple different things, so when we got the second one, I haven't been as good with these Abiding Life journals, but this is so powerful, and I'm so thankful for Andrea for putting this together, and just the way that it keeps us checked, and so the day-to-day -day buzz, right? Like, how do you stay in step with that resurrection power? It gets kind of put on a shelf, it goes dormant, we forget how to walk in it. And I love the weekly examine. And I want to read this to you as a challenge. And you ask yourself, she has these different boxes, the daily office, the Sabbath rest, family and community, physical health, resources, work, and loving our neighbors. And the question we ask ourselves in the weekly examine is, have I invited your presence, Holy Spirit, into these areas of my life? And then we reflect on these questions and make note of anything the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you. Reset by making note of changes you would like to make for the next week. And listen to this. This is the heart of the gospel. Move forward in a spirit of grace and hope, not condemnation or shame. I want to challenge you guys to utilize the, abide, the Abiding Life Journal to keep you walking in the spirit. Um, I don't know if you had something special planned for communion, but I was thinking if we could just have it be, basically, I want us today to just make your seat or anywhere in here that you find worthy. I miss having an altar. I just think there's something, something specific about creating an altar, a space where you can bow before God and, and lay down what you don't want anymore and let him give you what you need in its place. And y'all, every time, there is no butterfly music going right now. 
But I believe that the Holy Spirit of God wants to fill us. I do. And I believe that if we come to him and we lay down whatever huge stones, right, have gotten between us and Jesus, he will roll them away and he will fill you with the accompanying signs that go for those who believe. I believe that we are those that are called to carry this resurrection power on the daily. Y'all, I have gotten so far and so dormant, which is why I come to you wide open today. Like, God, really, of all the things, these signs have not been evident in my life, and my heart is grieved because we have a world who does not know our Savior, and they need him. They need him. We must walk in this fullness. So my challenge is to you today. I want you to come, and I want you to take the elements, and I want you to find a space in this room where you can just get alone before God and ask him what's gotten between you and me, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, what do you want to give me in its place so that I can walk in the fullness of what you have for me? So you guys go ahead and come and take the elements. I'm just going to give uh, another moment of quiet here for you to just prepare your heart for the body and blood of Jesus. Um, if you uh, want to follow with what Susanna was suggesting, then you can kneel at your seat um, as if you're coming to an altar. And uh, let's just in a minute, I'm going to read a scripture and then we'll, we'll all take together. I'm going to read a couple passages from Romans as we're contemplative together about the about taking communion. Once I was alive apart from the law, 
But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded me, afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. And some people like to really hang out in Romans 7 and talk about how bad we are. But I'm really glad that Romans 8 exists. I'm going to read you all a little bit of Romans 8 here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God, we thank you that there are no longer temporary lambs, but that there is one lamb one who is worthy, one who is spotless, one who would be worthy to open the scroll, release your, uh, both your mercy and your judgment on the world. And so God, we just stand before you right now and we say once again, we trade our living by the flesh. We trade our living by the law for living in your spirit. We repent of the ways that we have tried to earn your mercy. And God, once again, we just say, as we take your body, as we take your blood, let your spirit fill us new. Let it empower us to become the fulfillment of the law in Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you that we're willing to go to the cross. Thank you for your blood. And thank you that you rose again so that you could show us what a risen life would look like. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, I don't have any, any really any announcements today. Uh, Andrea, the, the only announcements I have is that um, check your email for, for any announcements that I don't remember this week. And also, uh, don't forget about your abiding life journal. And don't forget to join us at uh, 1130 prayer on the weekdays. I think uh, for I think for those who have been involved in the 11:30 prayer times, that it has been just a uh, a lot of a lot of days, a big encouragement in life. Um, you know, I probably make it I probably make it a, a good half of the days, and the days that I don't make it, I miss it. So, uh, so you guys, you guys join us. We're gonna finish by just reading the prayer of Saint Francis together, and. We're not going to rush through it. We all, a lot of us know it now. So we kind of start going like, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred, you know, and I, so we're going to, we're going to take our time. We're going to think about what we're saying. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. 
Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. All right. Well, Susanna's going to give an announcement, and I'm going to encourage you to go try to console someone and not want to be consoled. That's hard. Jared, do you want to do it? We have the amazing Jaranisha that's going to be leaving us with their families going to Ohio, but I have talked this mighty woman of God. I know. Come on up here. This mighty woman of God is just such a seeker. And she's already gone through this incredible Bible study, and it was brought to my attention again. And so she's going to walk us through it. So real quick, tell us what we're doing. Okay, so starting next Monday, starting at 7 here, we're going to be doing a Bible studies for the women. Sorry, guys. You know, I don't know. Y'all can do it on your own. But anyway, <laughs> it's going to be called Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. It is powerful. So we're, it's going to be talking about spiraling thoughts and all of the stuff that we got going on in our head and our hearts. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. So if you want to join us, you can email me or text me or call me or Susanna. It's going to be Susanna and I. Andrea has some books, I think. Books. She pre-ordered 10 books, so if you want them, we can snag them up cheaper. So she has ordered 10 of the study guide books, not the actual book. The book is on Amazon for, I think, maybe 10 or $15. I didn't read the book the first time. This time, I think I'm going to read it just so I can have a little bit more information, but it is powerful. So starting next Monday at 7, we're going to host it, and it's going to be here, so... It's going to be great. So before I go, come have fun with me. (laughs) Be blessed. You are dismissed.